Welcome to the Sparks in Action podcast, your good news center. This is Donna Sherman, and I'm delighted to be introducing you to ordinary, unassuming citizens who are doing great things that contribute to our collective well-being. It's April 1st today, and I plan on getting the first interview up probably around April 10th, so check in. Join us and be uplifted. Hello, Sparks in Action listeners. Welcome back to Sparks in Action. I am thrilled to bring you today's guest because today's guest is somebody who is absolutely an unsung hero. He is somebody who does a lot of good in the world in a quiet manner, as I've said to many people, without calling attention to himself. And I happen to know this person very well because guess what? Yes, I'm interviewing my husband. His name is Charlie Gadol. He's a pretty amazing human being. And my calculus is this. If Michelle Obama can interview Barack Obama for her first episode on her podcast, then I can interview my husband. (laughs) So here we go. I bring you a wonderful spark in action, Charles Gadol. Welcome, Charlie. Thank you. I had to travel so far to get here. (laughs) What a commute from downstairs. (laughs) (laughs) So... Charlie, you do so many things, and uh, there's a part of me that wants to brag on you, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to restrain, from, refrain, excuse me, from doing that because I know that will embarrass you terribly. So I'll just say to my listeners that Charlie is at once erudite, incredibly down to earth, incredibly generous, and puts his, you know, walks his talk, basically. So the first question, Charlie, I would like to ask you is this, but can you tell our listeners about your work in medicine? I I didn't do, listeners, uh, I digress for a moment. I didn't give you a whole long bio because it would be very long and it would embarrass Charlie. Uh, Charlie is a medical doctor. He is also a trail runner, a race director, an avid environmentalist, and involved in a lot of environmental organizations, um, aside from being, you know, husband, father, and grandfather, and stepfather, and many other things. That said, we're going to start with letting people know about the world of pathology, the area of medicine that you practice, because I don't think that many people really know what pathologists do. So I give you Charlie Gadol. Can you tell us a little bit about your work? Wow. Well, thank you so much for that very sweet intro. But um, anyway, so pathology. Yeah, I've been a pathologist for 30-something years, and um. And, and anyway, uh, so yes, so what a pathologist does, basically, um, we look at surgical, well, what most pathologists do is look at surgical specimens and biopsies and things that come out of the body, like fluids, and, and try and make a diagnosis that will help the, their, 
the patient's physicians to, you know, deal better with a treatment, come up with a treatment plan. So, you know, typically you think, well, we're looking for cancer, but not, not always. I mean, sometimes we're just getting gastrointestinal biopsies and we, maybe we'll find an organism like Helicobacter pylori, which uh, is, is a bacteria that causes, commonly causes an infectious form of gastritis and it's particularly common. So that can be treated with antibiotics and cured, but it can have side effects. Like if you have a persistent infection with H. pylori, you can go on to develop certain types of cancer or ulcers. So it's important to identify. Um, so that's the kind of thing that we do and we help to run the lab. Uh, you know, we, um, you know, all the, the, the lab tests that you get done when you, Go to have your blood drawn. For example, we oversee that part of the lab as well, though we don't do the tests, but we kind of just oversee the process and make sure that everything is done correctly. And um, you know, that's that's uh, it, it's more than that. But it's it, without getting into the nitty gritty. It's it's a lot of it's a lot of detail oriented stuff, and I've enjoyed it. So so for example, like. Let's say uh, somebody has to go for a biopsy. Let's say a thyroid biopsy, a breast biopsy, a, a prostate biopsy. The sample that the surgeon takes or the radiologist, if it's a radiological biopsy, goes down to the lab. Then what happens? Like if you could just walk us through a little bit of what you're doing behind the scenes, because you're such an integral part of medicine, but it's a little bit mysterious to so many people. So what happens when you get that surgical specimen? Well, let's say, for example, uh, uh, a woman or a man actually could also be a man, but a, well, a person, a patient gets a, um, a breast biopsy and it comes out back as cancer. And then the surgeon says, okay, now you're going to get a lumpectomy. And so, um, so the surgeon goes in and tries to remove the the tumor use maybe using radiologic guidance and uh to remove the tissue with this, a margin of, of normal tissue around it uninvolved tissue um and maybe we'll sample lymph nodes to see if the the tumor has spread to the lymph nodes so we'll get um the specimen in several parts maybe the main specimen and we'll have to evaluate the tumor its size its grade uh how much of the tumor is outside of the the breast ducts, how mm. much is spreading through the tissue, how close it comes to the margins. And then we'll look at the lymph nodes to try and see if they're involved. And so it, it becomes a, a long, complicated process with lots of measurements. And so something that's a kind of a complicated specimen that we'll that we'll we'll tackle. Pathologists will do something like that. Yeah, it's like, it's like an incredible, uh, it's detective work, you know, it's like sort of physiological detective work, like Yeah, anatomical. it's detective work and more, a lot of documentation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just trying to provide useful information that a radiologist and oncologist can take that information and come up with a further treatment plan for that patient. Yeah, um, and, and I have a question, I've wondered about this. Do you feel that AI is, is pathology something that AI, artificial intelligence can easily sort of move into and take over? 
or do you feel that artificial AI and pathology is not necessarily, um, you know, that's not that's not necessarily going to be the wave of the future for you? Oh, field? I think a lot of people think think that is the wave of the future. That okay, yeah. Um, right what, now, what do you think? Right now, I don't think there's any danger of us being. Uh, 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 replaced by digital pathology, but um, it's more of an, you know, something, an aid to us at this point. Um, but the idea is that you can scan uh, images from this, the biopsy slides and come up with a diagnosis and using neural networks and, you know, various algorithms, they can detect, uh, uh, you can detect abnormalities and screen them to see if they meet the de definition of malignancy or not, or whatever the pathology might be. Um, so that's in use actually already to a certain extent, mm. for example, with pap smears and other types of cytology specimens uh, that are very labor intensive uh -huh. you know, to help you screen and um, hone down on the real abnormalities, the cells that are, are really abnormal. And, you know, also to pick up, to increase the detection rate of abnormal cells. So, yeah, it's in use. I think people expect that it will become um, more widely used in the future. Um, in a small hospital setting, it's not there yet, but in an academic settings, it's already in use, but more for archiving uh -huh. um, and for our presentations. Uh, so, but we're getting there. And, you know, the other thing I thought might be interesting for our listeners to know is that, you know, so, so they, people have heard pathology reports, but maybe what people don't know is that generally, can you describe that the conditions that most pathologists who have amazing experience and have so much hard work under their belt, the conditions that usually they work in? Oh, well, we don't, we don't get the best parts of the hospital to work in. We're like often in the basement or I worked in one place where the ceiling was leaking and that's just, you know, kind of like we're kind of getting insulted and battered. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, it's part of the job. It's not it actually the nicer parts of the hospital should be for the patients and the the you know immediate direct patient absolutely care, so. absolutely in that sense it's okay but not not really <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so there's really there really is this sort of unsung hero aspect to this work that you do um because as i said earlier you're such an integral part of the team and you're kind of tucked away in your basement or your windowless place with your microscope. Um, but it's actually pretty fascinating work. And yeah, it's very collegial. You'd like to, you can't work alone. It's important to show your, uh, your slides to other um, pathologists and talk to them about unusual findings because um, that's the way you reduce the number of errors and it, you know, it's more interesting that way. And they, someone else may think of something that you haven't. It's not very cut and dry. Many times there's some element of it that you know requires some judgment and experience, or just an extra 
you know, thought provoked. Sometimes a biopsy will not be obvious what it is, and you'll have to employ all kinds of extra techniques to figure out what you're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have said this from day one that that um, I have great admiration for the work you do. And I'm glad we're getting this opportunity to let listeners know a little bit about this mysterious field of pathology, which I think many people think think is um, may think that it's just basically you know crime scene investigation pathology, although that's a piece of it. So um, can we go down another route now, or was there anything else you wanted to say about your work? No, not really. That's that's, that's cool. Okay, so. I would love to have you speak a little bit about your evolution from being a runner and how that took you into trail running, into being a race director, creating uh, very badass races for people and with, with such a wonderful community of people. And then also ultimately how that has taken you into all the wonderful environmental work you're doing. So I know that's a very broad question, but if you could talk a little bit about your love of running and where it has taken you. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, uh, well, Donna, you like hiking too, so it's easy you know, to relate to, I mean, being outside and being in nature is just something we get to do together and love. Uh, I guess it started for me uh, back when I was a kid and growing up in the suburbs. And then I, I joined, uh, I was encouraged to join cross country and track teams in, um, in junior high school and high school. And I did okay, not great, but I was able to enjoy, I mostly enjoyed it. I enjoyed the camaraderie and getting out in, in nature. And um, I guess and then I, you know, got caught up in career and raising my family. And later on in, in life, when um, I was able to discover that actually running on trails is more fun than running on roads. And, you know, it's more more of a sense of accomplishment if you climb a mountain and see something, uh, get a view, and um, as opposed to just running around your neighborhood every day. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, I'm just saying, for some people, once you get used to the, the difficult terrain, um, running out in the woods is a great thing. So I began to really appreciate trails and um, appreciating trails in this new area that we moved to in 2007 in upstate New York, uh, in the Gunks and up in the Catskills. And pretty soon I realized um, that this is a cool thing to do and it's good to give back. And so I began taking over a trail and I found it wasn't so tough. I mean, if there was a huge tree, I didn't have to come Wait, out there with me, a chainsaw. I could by work. taking over the trail, you mean being a volunteer. For being trail a volunteer. Names. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> being, a, being, being, taking over trail is having the responsibility of maintaining that section of trail a couple times a year, removing trees and brush and, you know, just so that people can hike through it. And, you know, after years of, sort of sponging off of other people setting up races and and then um, and taking care of the trails I decided to, to pitch in and and, uh, and do something for for trails and also for trail racing uh, since I love trail racing and, and had 
by then developed um, some knee problems. I thought maybe I could develop a race for my friends. So I developed a couple races in the Catskills on some of the the more interesting, uh, difficult trails, but, you know, very rewarding in the sense that you can climb a mountain and see something. And it was almost out of curiosity to see what people could actually get through and accomplish. Um, so, so I set up my two races, Manitou's Revenge, and which is a 54-mile ultramarathon, and a uh, another marathon with my friend um, Mike Sudi. We set up the Cat's Tail Marathon, both on in the Catskill Mountains, and um, then it became part of the trail running community. And actually, uh, when the call came out to find additional volunteers for for working on the trail. Um, oops, additional volunteers for, um, to take over sections of trail. Uh, I was able to call on many of my fellow trail runners to help out and they stepped up and pretty soon a lot of the trails in the Catskills were being maintained by, by trail runners. And so then because of that, I got involved, more involved with the New York, New Jersey trail conference, working on their board and uh, on the different committees. Uh, and that's still an ongoing process for the last couple of years. And the trail conference is, it's not a conference. It's not a meeting you go to. It's, <laughs> it's what it sounds like, but it's, it's an organization of right. volunteers yeah. that, uh, that maintains over 2,100 miles of trail from, from central Jersey all the way up to the Catskills. And uh, that's what we do. Um, and uh, without their efforts, it's, you know, it's, I used to think, oh, the rangers, they're taking care of the trails. And not that they don't do that, but it's not really rangers. It's mostly volunteers, like especially from, from our organization that do that. So that's what, what I've been doing. You know, I remember a time we were hiking. It might have been, I don't remember if it was the Acre Loop Trail, your section mm -hmm. of Loop, but was somewhere up in the Catskills. This is before you were volunteering to do trail maintenance, but you weren't volunteering on the board of the New York, New Jersey Trail Conference yet. And we saw a group of people with the axes. And I mean, they were like, they were doing heavy, hardcore work. Right. And we were so grateful. Remember, right. we had, we were so grateful to them. Yes, and I remember Little that. did you know that you would be so much part of that right. organization. But that's such a beautiful example to me of, of just one spark leading to another. You know, I've mm -hmm. got to bring it back to the sparks, but you know, you're, you're lit up by running. You're lit up by trail racing. Uh, Charlie's being very humble, but folks, he ran, he did the Vermont 100 miler some years back. I mean, you know, we're talking about 100 miles in like what, 26 hours? So, um, so, so, but anyway, I bragged on you, sorry. So, um, yeah, so one spark led to the other. So it's just all been this sort of natural evolution of your love for running, your love and care for the environment, which actually it seems you had at an early age too. When you were in college, you did some environmental work as well. But it's all just been this beautiful um, evolution from things that you love. And, and from that has come not only joy for you, but great service because you are so committed 
uh, to walk in your talk and caring for these lands that you love so much and bringing people together in a joyful way, you know, to experience the beautiful trails that you love, be it in the Catskills or other areas in the Hudson Valley. So, um, good we on do you. have so much around here that we can, oh, we can enjoy every, every time Donna and I go out hiking and Donna will always say, guess what? We get to live here. And it's, it's true. It's there's there's just so many hikes we can do that are beautiful and, and rewarding. That's that gratitude, right? I mean, yeah. it's just, you know, it's not fluff gratitude. It's like deep in the bones. Oh, I'm talking to a pathologist. Deep in the cell structures, <laughs> <laughs> deep in the nucleus, the nuclei. So, yeah. So um, I think the things you do in the world are great. Mm. And um, thank you so much. I, I guess I this isn't bragging on you. This is just because in Sparks in Action, the podcast, as I always say, we are I'll be interviewing ordinary citizens and all the work you do in the world is in addition to being a loving husband, father, grandfather, stepfather, friend, uh son-in-law you know so brother-in-law so you know you're a pretty cool guy <laughs> before we close out is there um anything else you want to share about your work or anything about to our listeners no i really like i really enjoy the, the the sparks uh image though because i feel that's what you're bringing forward in in these kinds of podcasts is that that there's really kind of a, a hope that we can all look forward to, not just for, for me being your husband, just but for everybody, especially in these like very dark times when mm -hmm. there's so much loss mm -hmm. and grieving. I think to have to have someone something to look forward to, to see that there really are good people out there who are trying hard to do to do to bring a little bit of light into the, everyone's life. That's a that's a cool thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, thank you. And on that note, I want to thank you so much for making the long commute from downstairs <laughs> to my desk to be here to do this podcast. And uh, now so, it's time to walk the dog. <laughs> okay, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, stay, stay in touch with me, stay in touch with this podcast. So, very cool things are coming. So from, he, from me to you, keep your heart ignited, and until next time.